Let's turn in our Bibles, if you've got a Bible, to John 1, verses 1 to 18. So, John 1. In the beginning uh, was the Word. The Word is uh, John's way of referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. That's talking about Jesus at creation. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light um, of men, mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then picking up, verse 14. The Word became flesh. In other words, the, the eternal Word that is Jesus uh, was incarnate, became flesh, took on human uh, form, and dwelt um, among us, lived on the earth. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16, from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God until Jesus walked on the earth. That's what it says. Let's pray uh, just for our few minutes together. Lord Jesus, thank you very much for the folks who are looking after our children and we pray that they will have fun uh, together and that those of us who are here will just have a bit of time out. Uh, and uh, we pray that you would compound our doubts and that we, we will be able to engage and uh, relish some of the wonderful, wonderful things that might just steal upon us in a wonderful way um, this particular uh, Christmas time. And we pray that in, in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this January, the 23rd of January, uh, will be 15 years since Sally and I uh, came from London with uh, three little children uh, to serve the church family um, here. A lot has happened since then. And uh, through it all, the Lord has been our strength and stay as a church. It has been and remains uh, a great privilege for me to serve the Chalmers Church uh, family. None of us knows what the future will bring or what this year will bring. And so I want to say that publicly this year, it has been and is a privilege for us to serve the Chalmers Church family. It's been our custom on Christmas Day over the years to take time to look back over the year and acknowledge with thanksgiving what the Lord has done. In many of these years, we were kind of obligated to thank God for putting a roof over our heads as a church. Uh, whether we were uh, off-site when all this redevelopment was done. And last year, of course, we just returned to the building, and uh, it was right that we gave thanks to God for the building and uh, uh, for the finance uh, uh, to do it. You may have read that Chalmers made the front page of The Scotsman this week. If you're on the front page, that's usually not good news. Um, my dream is always to be on the back page of a newspaper. But the front page, uh, we were the top recipient of uh, the government VAT retention scheme, in Scotland, we received uh, nearly £200,000 of VAT reclaim uh, from the government to effectively invest in a listed building, but what we've done is invested uh, in a church. So thank you, um, government. Now, this year, I want to do something different. I want to acknowledge with profound thanks to God the impact, the difference, the gospel or Christian faith has made in many people's lives. Now, what I would love to do, and don't worry, I won't do this, um, is to tell you, they illustrate that with real people, some of whom I can and see and try not to look at you. 
There are countless testimonies, countless examples of how uh, being a Christian has impacted people's lives in profound ways uh, over the past uh, year. So, respecting confidentiality, I, I won't share uh, the names, apart from perhaps my own children. I can't do that again. I did it in the carol service. Uh, two of them are abroad. And how on earth in Africa and Alaska did you find out that your dad mentioned your name? <laughs> because their brother told them. Um, anyway, so I'm not going to mention anyone by name, but I'm mentioning many people by name. Okay? Now, John 1, 1 to 18 has been our focus in Advent. It's this marvelous passage. Uh, the prologue of John's Gospel. And uh, in the prologue, John talks about the blessings of being a Christian in this way. What is it that you have as a Christian? What's the point of it all? What are the blessings? Um, John writes this way, From his fullness we've all received grace upon grace, or one blessing after another. So that what uh, John is claiming, and if you are a Christian, this is, has to be true for you. If you're not a Christian, this is what's um, uh, on offer. But I think that acid test really is people who believe in the Christian uh, gospel, people who believe in Jesus, and they believe these promises, they've got to be true for them. Otherwise, when people look in, they're going to say, well, this isn't real. It's kind of make-believe. It's, it's just not actually accurate. Because he, here's the stakes. It's quite high. Um, as a Christian, you receive one blessing after another. That's a big claim. Now, let me touch on, on three. Um, it's always three. I don't know why it's always three, but it's three. Uh, I think one of the reasons that, that preachers tend to say three things is because six things is far too many. And uh, three things, all, all these Gospels were written for an oral culture. And they would be read out, and they would be listened to. And the rhythm of three is a rhythm that we can access and remember. So here are three blessings. Let me just state them first, and then we'll touch on each one. Life, light, and love. Now, that sounds vague. Um, I was listening to, to a service this morning uh, from uh, one of the big cathedrals uh, in the UK, and, and, and my equivalent, well, not my equivalent, he was much more senior than me, uh, was saying that the purpose of a Christmas service is, is to overwhelm people with atmosphere, impact, which I think is good in some ways, but what I want when I journey through life is truth and light and clarity, answers. So, Light, life, and love. Firstly, the light that Jesus shines. Now, uh, John talks a lot about light. Um, let me give you one or two of the references. You'll see them there in the prologue. Um, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that light was the, life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Or John 1, 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And in Jesus' own words, and Norman, um, Norman uh, quoted these words to the kids this morning, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What does that mean, though? Jesus is light. The lights in our Christmas tree, that goes back to the 17th century, I think, in Germany. They were the first people to bring trees into their houses, which is a, bit, a crazy habit, really. Trees into your houses and they put physical candles on them. 
to remind people of the light of the world. And the reason we have physical candles lit is to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. But why light is a metaphor? Why light is a metaphor? And it's a very basic metaphor. Jesus would say, I'm bread, I'm light, I'm life, um, I'm a shepherd, stuff that we can uh, understand. He said, I am light. What does it mean? Well, light in the Bible and light in Jesus' vocabulary means revelation. In other words, when the light is not on, you don't know what's going on. You can't see stuff. And when the light comes on, you see stuff that you would not otherwise see. It's a very simple metaphor. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I'm going to show you stuff that you wouldn't know otherwise. About God and about us. It's extraordinary when these words, uh, some of the most profound words ever written, the word became flesh and you know what God is like. What's God like? Look at Jesus. He is God. So the light, Jesus, shows us what God is like. Read about Jesus' life. That's what God is like. It's extraordinary, his life. But the light also shows us what we are like. It exposes our sin and our need of uh, salvation. You know, the camera never lies. Cameras, well, they do lie nowadays. <laughs> you can edit them. You can Photoshop them. You can take the tummy off them. You can do stuff to people's hair. But the camera does tell the truth. And the light that Jesus shines on us reveals stuff. One of the things uh, on the service this morning might make you think that I, I, I have prepared this sermon uh, between this service that I watched this morning and coming here. That's not true. It's just that uh, when you, 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 you write uh, talks or sermons, uh, you've got to trust that God has you in the real world and it's going to connect with stuff that you see and, and watch. And the fellow this morning said, when we have these services, what we want people to do is they come into this big cathedral and some of them want to stand in the light, others want to stay in the shadows because that's where they prefer to be. It's not good to live life in the shadows. But it's hard to come into the light. It's hard to stand in the spotlight. When the kids all come up here at Christmas, grown-ups come up here and they stand up here and the spotlights are on. They can't wait to get back to their seats. It struck me this Christmas when the kids have stood up here, they just are happy to stand in the lights. Apart from this morning. <laughs> Standing in the light of Jesus exposes us for who we are, exposes the darkness, the sin in our lives, the, the bad stuff, the stuff that nobody else knows. And when you, you sit and listen to the word of God, it, it's like a light that shines. And you sit there, I sit here, I preach here, and the light shines into my life. And it tells me things that God knows that no one else knows. Not even my wife and children about my heart. Not even that. Not even them. It's a wonderful thing. If you are a peril on the sea, in the dark, and the beam from the helicopter spots you or the beam from the, the lifeboat spots you and you would expend your very last ounce of energy to swim into the light 
It is a wonderful thing. And let me say this to you as a means of personal testimony, as an ordinary person whose life is compromised and struggles and there are dark things in my life, that the light of Jesus Christ has revealed to me who God is and who I am. And then how do you reconcile the two? And the answer is the Lord Jesus. Now, second, the life Jesus gives. This is the best bit I've got to tell you today. Uh, the life that Jesus uh, gives. Now, what does it mean? So you'll hear people say a Christian is somebody who has a relationship with Jesus. What on earth does that mean? Or a Christian is someone who knows Jesus personally. How can you know Jesus personally? Because he's not here. What does it actually mean? Okay, a Christian is someone who can say the light of Jesus has shone into their lives and there's a reality. They see themselves for how they are and they see God for who he is. But what does it mean to have life? What does it mean? Let me read to you from John 1, the prologue again, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So a Christian is a child of God. That's a striking statement. It's not that a Christian is someone who follows a, a certain religion or a Christian is somebody who, who lives in a certain way. A Christian is a child of God. It's a very direct, it's a very pointed uh, statement. It's a familial one. It's a relational statement. Now, is it simply conferred status? In other words, if you are a Christian, is it simply that God says you are now a child of God? It's a status thing. Or is there more than that? Well, listen to the verse again. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, but of God. So what it's saying is that you are a child of God and you've been born by God's will. Now what on earth does that mean? Well, a little bit later in the gospel, uh, we get these famous words. And these words are in a conversation Jesus had with uh, um, uh, people call him a skeptic. His name was Nicodemus. He was no skeptic. He was just normal, and he asked good questions. Uh, Jesus uh, said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see or enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. A striking statement. Uh, Charles Wesley, the, the famous uh, preacher, um, used to preach uh, sermons regularly, you must be born again. And uh, he was apparently pigeonholed by somebody uh, in the church. And he said, why do you keep banging on about you must be born again? What do you think his answer was? Because you must be born again. What does that mean? What does it mean? When Billy Graham came to the UK in 1950s, I think it was, the big crusade, and if you've watched uh, The Crown, the early episodes of The Crown were a little more accurate than the latter episodes. When Billy Graham met the Queen, and these extraordinary conversations, she wanted to meet him, she said, as a simple Christian, and she had a real uh, Christian faith. 
And what Billy Graham did in his crusades is he went around uh, the UK and he effectively said, you must be born again, you must be born again. And he would talk about the light shining into people's lives and all the, the kind of religious clutter was, was blown away. And he said, you need to stand in the light of the radiance of Christ to expose who you are and expose who he is and you must be born again, you must be made alive. You must be born again. Jesus said this uh, just after that statement. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born of water and the Spirit. There's another cue. You must be born again to a child through birth, born of water and the Spirit. What on earth does that mean, to be born of water and the Spirit? Well, let me reach back to one of the Old Testament prophecies, Ezekiel. Uh, The reason I do that is that John does Uh, Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Let me explain to you what the heart is in the Bible. The heart for us, do you know when I went to get Sally a Christmas card, I got one of these personal to my wife Christmas cards. Four pounds they cost though. Okay. And uh, do you know how many cards had robins on them? It's so encouraging for me every year. (laughs) When you buy a Valentine's card, what's on it? A heart. In the Bible and in the ancient world and in most cultures in the world, the heart is not the bit shaped like a heart. The heart is the whole of me. So when the Bible says you have a new heart, it's saying you have a new mind. You have a new conscience. You have a new will. You have new loves or passions. It's a kind of whole person revolution. And when you're born again, you have a new mind, a new heart, new conscience, new will, new loves, new passions. And a Christian is someone in whom that radical life has uh, come. That's what is normal. And Jesus says, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And to me, if you're not a Christian, that is much more attractive than ritual and rules. One of the things we do badly in our culture in the West is we all sit in rows in churches. It's a kind of formality that that kind of masks the, the relational side of Christian faith. You must be born again of water and uh, the, the Spirit. Now, what does it mean? One more step in John's Gospel. And we're in chapter 4. John does these uh, steps. Jesus meets a woman at a well, and the conversation is about water. Jesus asks her for water from the well. And he, he says to her, uh, you give me water from the well, you give me a highland spring or whatever, I'm going to give you water that is alive. That's literally what he says. And the living water refers in the Bible to the Holy Spirit within a believer. Let me read this from John chapter 7 it is. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his mind, his conscience, his will, his loves, will flow rivers of living life water. Now this he said about the Spirit 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. And what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to use visceral, readily accessible language to say that a Christian is someone who's been born again by the Spirit, and it means that the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fully God, comes to make his dwelling inside of you in your person. And he revolutionizes your mind and your conscience and your will and your loves. He lives in you. That's what a Christian is. And that episode on the crown, the, the, the one when he preached in Windsor Chapel, is accurate. It's in the Queen's own testimony. It's Billy Graham stood there in Windsor Chapel, and he said, a real Christian is someone in whom the Holy Spirit lives. That's radical, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, a person of the Godhead, lives inside a Christian, and they're, they're born again, they're made alive. And the woman at the well said, give me some of that water. Or there's a fellow in church called Colin Ward, he's not here today, and I can talk about Colin because he's not here today. Please don't tell him. Colin became a Christian when he was in his 70s. And he became a Christian because of the testimony of a man called Dick, who's now in heaven. And, and eventually, Dick explained the gospel to him, I guess, what he was doing this morning. And, and, and eventually, Colin rang his doorbell and he said, I want what you have. What was he talking about? He was talking about something in that man's life that made him alive, life, the Holy Spirit, a mind, a conscience, a will, a heart that was altogether different. Give me some of that water. Now, we're nearly done. Turkey's cooking. You're being very gracious. You're still listening. You know when life in Christ, you know this spiritual life you have. So when are you most alive? When you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 60 or 80. And uh, probably when you're younger. One of the striking things about the, the life that you have in Christ is that you, you remain just as alive in your fundamental sense when you're 80 or 90. Let me illustrate that uh, with one um, sort of personal example. Um, now, on Friday this week, I had the privilege of spending time, I'm going to just read this, otherwise I'll cry again, um, <laughs> with a Christian whose health in different dimensions is deteriorating, an old man. He is just not the man he was. So, so getting up for this fellow, and the fact that he got up that day was extraordinary. He had a zimmer, and he, he kind of managed to get up and stand on his feet, tottering there. And the, the sort of staff and us were just making sure he didn't fall back. And yet, the living Jesus was physically, experientially evident in his demeanor, in his dignity, in his praying. As we listened 
to what was a familial, intimate conversation with his heavenly Father. It was as if the person of Jesus Christ had come to live in that man's life. Such that what we know and read about Jesus, we saw in him and heard him say, how can that be? How can that come out through dementia or Alzheimer's disease? How can that come out through a frail and physical body? Because the person who that man fundamentally is, is alive. Because the spring of water that is the Holy Spirit wells up to everlasting life. And when that man comes close to the end of his life on earth and his body and his mind die, the eternal life that is in him wells up. And I think that's true. It's not just that the living water wells up in eternity. It wells up, comes to the surface in these times of frailty. What's also striking about that, dear man, is that becoming a Christian and being a Christian does not in any way exempt you from the suffering and struggles of life. That man is in a care home because he can no longer live at home. His physical condition and circumstance is no different from any other resident there. His body is failing, his mind is failing, but his Savior shines through him. How can that be? Because the person of Jesus in his spirit lives in him. That's a real Christian. That person is who he fundamentally is. He is Christ's. And that person will never die. And it was plain as day for us as we sat in that room that that person who he fundamentally is, Christ in him, will never die. It was a rich and moving experience to be in his presence for we were in the presence of a Christian man. We were in the presence of Jesus Christ. Extraordinary. Let me encourage you, if you know any Christians in care homes, go and visit them. Read the Bible with them. Sing with them. Now we're done. Let me finish with love. Where have we been? Light, life, and love. Two dimensions of Christ's love that I guess has been evident in so many people's lives over the past year. One is just the love of the gospel. Uh, these are famous words, for God so loved the world, so loved the world. He so loved the world. He so loved us. He really loved us as humanity. He became flesh and he died for us. That's extraordinary love. And uh, these wonderful passages, and we've used these a lot in, in funerals as folks from the church have died this year. The shepherd love. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, I think it's a great image being a shepherd because us city people, we don't know a sheep from a cow or a lamb, or, or, but we do know what a shepherd is. It's a kind of global principle, isn't it? What is a shepherd? A shepherd is somebody 
Uh, and, and you almost want these words to be in the gospel. A shepherd is somebody who knows their sheep. And some of these wonderful words from Jesus, I know my sheep and they know me. Isn't that striking? What do we think Almighty God can do? I know my sheep. Yeah, he's almighty. He knows you. He knows you. But the other bit, they know me. That's even more wonderful. They know me. I lay my life down for them. And the words of that great psalm. I lead them through still waters, all that stuff, and through the dark valleys, including the valley of the shadow of death. Let me finish with one other real example, and this time I'm going to name her. Is that okay? I'm looking at my wife for encouragement. <laughs> Katrina, who's now in heaven. So she, um, she, she died suddenly, um, although she was dying of cancer. And uh, her phone went off just after she had died. She went to, she tried, they tried to resuscitate her. She was an RIE. She couldn't be resuscitated. Her phone went off. You know how you get these Bible texts on your phone? It's the Christian version of Be Real text. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, you can gain comfort from a text like that as a family member immediately after she died, but what struck me most powerfully, a bit like the fellow we visited on Friday, is that Katrina spoke these words and believed them with all her heart as she was dying. It's extraordinary. And I've never seen, I've never seen in my life as a pastor, and I'm getting old now and I've done it for a long time, I've never seen a Christian walk through the darkest valley of all and seen anything other than their faith come alive. Now, why is that? Because being a Christian means that Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, lives in you. And so when the body dies, or the mind goes, Christ lives. That's what a Christian is. That's what a Christian is. It's very wonderful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've uh, stumbled on to, to, to a couple of people's real lives, and that's no bad thing. We pray your particular blessing on these two families today. And Lord, thank you for the reality of who a Christian is, this extraordinary real-life transformation that Jesus brings. And, and Christ in us shines out in the darkness and in the darkest valleys of all. Lord Jesus, if we're not Christians and you are shining your light into our lives, 
we pray that we would not scurry for the shadows, but turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.